You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guest is Dr. Ann Coleman, who began her term as the president of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in January of 2020, an auspicious year for vision science, and one that the AAO has deemed the year of the eye. Dr. Coleman is a glaucoma specialist who's a professor of ophthalmology at the UCLA Stein Eye Institute and professor of epidemiology at the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health, where she researches the public health impact, risk factors, causes, and treatments of blindness worldwide. As director of the Stein Eye Institute's Center for Community Outreach and Policy, she provides care to the underserved and vulnerable who lack access to health care because of finances, transportation issues, or language barriers. And we've talked with her previously about that on the Doheny Podcast Network. So welcome back, Dr. Coleman. Thank you so much for coming to share some insights about the AAO's current priorities and how the AAO connects its 32,000 members in 2020. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me, Jody. This is uh, great to be back. And it is kind of an auspicious year still uh, for ophthalmologists. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, we started out the year um, focusing on the year of the eye since it was 2020. And our goal was to really educate uh, the public on the three main causes of treatable blindness in the United States. We also wanted to celebrate ophthalmology and the transformative technology uh, that's really been helping to protect and improve sight. And we really wanted to inspire our colleagues to be more involved in their communities and their profession. And so we kind of had those three goals uh, for the membership and the public. In addition, we were going to open the Museum of the Eye, which is a free museum in San Francisco at the Academy's headquarters. And this was going to be a phenomenal opening because it was really going to introduce the public and also members to what vision is, color vision, also the technology and devices in ophthalmology and heroes in ophthalmology. And it was just going to be kind of a great way to celebrate 2020. Well, as you know, life happens. And so when uh, COVID-19 hit, um, a lot of that was put on the back burner um, because we really had to pivot to get information out to ophthalmologists about what to do. You know, this was kind of a new virus for us. We had had um, the prior SARS virus, but nothing like the coronavirus. And it was really unclear in terms of the transmission, if you think back to March. And the academy, in terms of the information that they were receiving and the members were receiving and the staff of the academy, made the decision in March uh, 2020 through the board to issue a policy statement. And uh, this is unusual because a lot of times we're not really putting out uh, statements like this, but the statement was for ophthalmologists to only do urgent or emergency ophthalmic care. So this was really new for us, uh, but we felt it was very important because if you think back to those times, there was a shortage of personal protective equipment 
It was really unknown how the virus was transmitting. And in addition, there was the great fear that many of our hospitals would be overwhelmed with cases. And so ophthalmology is one of those fields that um, actually is very close when we're evaluating patients. We're extremely close to their faces. And so uh, we really uh, wanted the ophthalmologist to really see only emergent and urgent cases until we got a better handle on it. You had an agenda, a rather ambitious agenda, and suddenly you had two agendas unfolding for the year. So I'm curious about how you balance some of the goals that you had going into the year with the realities that you were facing and all these new demands that you're describing. Well, I think what happened is, um, unfortunately, it went all towards the um, COVID response right in the beginning. Because, you know, we ended up putting up about 300 pages on our website related to COVID-19 and the coronavirus. We did several surveys of our membership to see how they were doing during the pandemic and um, what they thought would be the financial implications along with staffing. And then we did uh, several repeat surveys to see how our membership was doing getting back into the office uh, since about 97% of them cut back. And so the coronavirus and COVID-19 took a lot of our resources and energy of the leadership, the staff and the membership. Uh, we were fortunate to have uh, several volunteer members who really uh, pulled together and helped uh, distill a lot of the information. Because if you think back to that time, starting in April, we had a daily email blast to ophthalmologists, really informing them about the newest information, what they could do, how to protect themselves and their family, their patient and their staff, and also um, providing the names of the ophthalmologists that had died um, from COVID-19 during the um, pandemic. And so I would like to think that the year of the eye was continuing and it was in the background, you know, the museum was completed. And so we're looking forward to opening in 2021. A lot of the education of the residents and the OCAPs, all of that continued. And the Academy started having quite a few webinars that were new because they were related to COVID-19 and the financial impact. We also uh, did a lot of work getting information to ophthalmologists about their practices and trying to advocate for ophthalmology at the federal level to make sure that there was a relief uh, for the huge financial burden uh, that hit many of the practices with COVID-19. So, Although it was still the year of the eye, it really became the year of public health. And this was public health in terms of the health of a society and our communities and how we fit into that instead of taking the focus mainly just into eye health. So Dr. Coleman, I, I realize that you are thinking of multiple constituencies. You're thinking both of your member doctors and of patients. And you talked a little bit about delaying procedures and only urgent and emergent cases. Where is that now? Well, so that's changed because as the country got more comfortable with acquiring PPE and uh, the hospitals became more 
efficient and effective in treating COVID-19, and especially in certain parts of the country, uh, such as uh, Los Angeles, where we weren't overwhelmed at the hospital level and we were able to secure PPEs, the practices started opening up again. And so then that's where the academy came in with information on how do you examine patients and how do you take care of your staff um, if you have an ongoing pandemic uh, with a very infectious virus such as uh, the coronavirus. And so uh, we provided information to practices to reopen. And then um, we were doing those surveys, kind of pulse surveys that we call them of our members, just to get an idea, you know, what were the main issues affecting them so that then we could address those in email blasts or in information provided uh, through practice management through the AAOE site on our website. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what kind of complications are there around delaying procedures? At UCLA, um, we did not uh, restrict our practices to urgent or emergent only um, at the request of the hospital. However, uh, patients stopped coming in. Um, so in a way, they restricted themselves to urgent and emergent. In addition, um, surgeries were stopped. And so at UCLA, um, one of the things I saw was that a lot of my glaucoma patients who were having routine exams, we didn't have um, those exams. We put them off for three, four, five months. The issue happened that there were patients who I was interested in operating on before the March 18th policy statement from the Academy and also before surgery was restricted at UCLA. And these individuals, did not end up having surgery. Some of them still haven't had surgery uh, because of the pandemic. The reason why some of them haven't proceeded to surgery is because they haven't wanted to come back in to the office. And so slowly over time, we've been seeing that the number of patients is increasing that are coming back for exams, but we do still do have a certain percentage of patients that are afraid to come in. And so uh, despite having uncontrolled glaucoma more than seven months ago now, when I was talking to them about surgery, uh, they have still decided to stay home and to uh, not really be further evaluated or to consider surgical procedures. And from your point of view, is that problematic? Well, from my point of view, that's problematic for those individuals because they had uncontrolled glaucoma seven, eight months ago. And the reason why I would be recommending surgery would be to slow down the loss of vision. And so the concern is that these were individuals with very high pressures. And while they're afraid to come in because of their systemic health, which I understand, they also are slowly losing vision um, in their eyes and that can be irreplaceable. And so had several discussions with these patients and some video visits, uh, but there is a great deal of fear. And so we've been working hard at UCLA to help alleviate that fear so that hopefully these individuals feel, feel comfortable to come back and to be evaluated. If not in my office, then at least in another ophthalmologist's office so that they can get the appropriate care. Right. I can understand how it's difficult for patients to balance those things. Let me ask you about something else. I know that there's constantly research 
going on, and I'm wondering if any research has been accelerated, maybe around home diagnostics or home remedies or the use of smartphones, uh, as COVID has kind of prompted solutions that maybe were in the pipeline to start happening faster. I think you do see that there are some innovations with telemedicine and teleophthalmology where people are working on even better devices so that we can evaluate people in their homes and they don't have to come into the office. One of the issues though that we have in ophthalmology, especially in a field like glaucoma, is that you know we need the intraocular pressure and we really need a good evaluation of the optic nerve and many times of the angle uh, where the fluid drains out of the eye. You also have issues with retina where patients needed an injection and so they need to come in to get the injection for cystoid macular edema and that has to be done in person. So there are a lot of innovations with telemedicine and teleophthalmology that are gonna help, but they're not gonna alleviate um, all of the issues we have with patient care. I think there has been quite a bit of research happening at some centers on the coronavirus, those individuals that are doing infectious disease research. I think in terms of clinical research at UCLA, it's really been put on hold and only now is starting to come back. And that was because of the uh, pandemic and the fears of individuals contracting the virus or the virus spreading. We have been able to continue with uh, research that involves databases because that doesn't really involve individual patients coming back to the clinic. In addition, laboratory research has restarted in the past several months, but to do that, it's really turned into shift work so that you don't have problems with social distancing in the laboratory. And so they'll do shifts where different laboratory individuals can come in um, in the morning, others in the afternoon, and some late at night or in the middle of the night um, so that there's very little overlap. And so this um, changes a lot of the social interaction that a lot of us were used to, where we'd all run into each other in the hall um, since that's no longer socially distancing, that doesn't happen. In addition, um, we're not having grand rounds anymore in person, uh, but we're now doing it by Zoom. And so we still get the intellectual exchange, but not necessarily uh, the quick social discussion that you might have when you're walking into a meeting or at the end of a meeting when you're leaving. I hear you saying that some of the clinical trials have been slowed down. How will that impact vision research overall? One of the things I think we see regarding research is that a lot of the researchers have been quite prolific, and we've seen a lot more manuscripts being submitted to journals. So it seems that there was a backlog. People didn't have time uh, prior to the pandemic to do the writing of their research. And now with the pandemic, things have slowed down. And so all of a sudden, they're able to sit down and write up their research papers, which is great. The issue is, is that once this backlog gets done, we have seen a slowing down of the clinical research. And so that uh, will potentially affect the manuscripts that are submitted and how long it's going to take to finish a clinical trial. 
It's a privilege to hear you as a thought leader and the kind of rethinking that you and your colleagues have been pushed to do. I really appreciate it. I want to just ask you before I let you go about the annual meeting this year. Well, the annual meeting is virtual and it was impossible to do it in person. And so we had to do it virtually, although people were interested in an in-person meeting There's just no way you could do that uh, given the state of the pandemic that we're still actually in the midst of it. And so with the virtual meeting, it's gonna be November 13th, 14th and 15th. There is an all access pass that's gonna cost approximately $450. Uh, For that, you get 70 hours of CME credits and then there'll be a hundred hours of live interactive discussion during those three days. In addition, there will be another 700 hours of pre-recorded information that will be available. And so it's going to be a wealth of information um, intellectually that's going to be available at the annual virtual meeting. And people are going to have access to this information um, through the middle of February. So they'll have plenty of time to get all of those 70 CME credits. Um, It should be um, a quite informative session. The Academy is also planning some fun activities. We're going to have a talent show. I'm going to be leading an instant recess. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunities to interact in a fun way so that people aren't just sitting at their computer and having a lecture delivered. They're gonna actually be able to be involved and interacting. And so um, I'm quite excited because the Academy always does everything in a superlative manner. And so I'm kind of excited to see what they're gonna do uh, with the virtual meeting. So far, everything I've seen is quite exciting and I think the membership will be quite pleased. Well, Dr. Ann Coleman, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Absolutely fascinating to hear you talk about how you, your membership, and patients are navigating this year, the year of the eye. Uh, I think that we need to talk sometime more about the Museum of the Eye, so I hope you'll come back. Oh, I'd love to, love to. That It's an amazing museum. Amazing. We'll have you back. Thank you again. Okay, thank you. If you'd like to support the work of the Doheny Eye Institute, please visit the website at doheny.org. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.